Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before the days of internet and in YouTube, we was after booing Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude. And Jake would be the break the way he's playing with snakes. Enthusiast of highest taste was always trading some tapes. Dusty said it cold to let me know about hard times. And Randy be the cream and he was reaching for new highs. Flair was always going and Andre was so imposing. Doesn't matter if nobody can seem to beat Hulk Hogan. Turnbuckles and territories. We be stuck to screens in 1980s. And we can't feed them and made them believe. By the turnbuckles and territories. Turnbuckles and territories. Welcome back to Turnbuckles and Territories, the Gen X era podcast all about professional wrestling. With me as always today is... Captain Kiwi. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going, everybody? And you know that Barry is here. You know I'm in the house. Everyone knows who the world champion is, but do you remember who held the last TNA World Beer Drinking Championship? (laughs) In today's episode, we dig deep into the obscure championships of professional wrestling. That first one that I mentioned is a perfect example of how wrestling sometimes loses its goddamn mind when people are trying to come up with something for the fans to have fun with. But oftentimes those are some of the the most insanely unpredictable events that turn out in the craziest ways to be the best thing of that particular year or month or organization. I think obscure championships, we talked about this when we were planning out season one, they they lend an odd bit of flavor to a time in professional wrestling history that you don't normally see. It's not just the good guy versus bad guy kind of storylines that happen all the time. This is, okay, by the way, we're all going to see who can get the drunkest and still walk around in a wrestling ring. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people think that these kind of championships are a new thing. And really, they've been around for a very, very long time. Yeah, that's what we definitely found some old, old, old dates in our research. I mean, stuff going back to, I'm looking through the list right now, and you guys found stuff that goes back to the 60s even. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that some of these are, and when we say obscure, some of them are sanctioned, quote, unquote by the organization some of them just a wrestler came up with on their own and we've seen plenty of modern day examples of that the first one is what's that kid from new jersey who came up with the he was the social media champion or some shit whatever he was zach Ryder. zach Zach Ryder. you know it go (laughs) the internet champion the internet champion that's right i mean come on it was like during a time when they had him off tv and so he just said i'm gonna go on social media and create my own thing and it got so popular that they wwe was forced to put it on the air because so many of their fans loved it we want Ryder. We want Ryder. I, I jumped on that train too. So. I mean, come on. You got you to gotta love any guy that held an actual title for one day. 
All right. So, yeah. And you're right. In in modern day, you'll see pretty much anybody that wants to create their own thing. They can kind of do it. Or even in certain, you know, other organizations, they'll have like a specialty title that's just for this organization and no one mm-hmm. else will ever have it ever, ever, ever. And I don't know. Those are to me, they're kind of fun. You know, I like the idea yeah. of those being there and and what they're going to come up with and why they exist, you know. That's the, the 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 part that I really get into. I enjoyed the most when I first put the card out for you guys to research and put your notes in. I think I, the most thing I most enjoyed was finding out about all these titles that I knew, but more importantly, the ones I'd never even heard of that you guys had. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the magic of these obscure championship. You go, wait a minute, a specific hardcore title to a specific state? <laughs> what well, the and the, <laughs> well, and the cool thing about these two is if you go back and look at pictures of the actual awards, titles, whatever, a lot of times they're nothing more than repurposed versions of a previous one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True, because, I mean, championship belts. They're not cheap. We have, we, right. We have some here that are trophies and some that are championship belts and some that are other things. They, they are extremely expensive to produce. And as we've said in the past, it's at least in the older days, wrestlers didn't make a ton of money. And some of these belts, the companies that would produce them because of the materials that are used in them and the artisanship that is used for them. Sometimes, you know, you're talking like three, five, ten thousand dollars for one of these belts. One million dollars. Yeah. Well, we're going to keep dropping hints. I guess we might as well jump into the episode and start talking about the short lived obscure champion. Championships right after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's back, better than ever. Pro Wrestling at the Showboat. Get set for a community brawl when the Guerrero Brothers knock heads with Bad Company and Colonel De Beers in six-man tag team action. Plus, Jerry Lawler tackles T. Joe Khan. Bahu McDaniel's looking to lock it up with Manny Fernandez. And Medusa Michelli's out to mangle Julia Sexton. Ringside $12, general admission 10 kids 7 The baddest bashers in the business, you got them. AWA Wrestling, Saturday, August 20th, 7.30 at the Boats. Most championships in the pro wrestling industry have been around for decades and decades. Some world championships at this point can trace their lineage back over a hundred years. However, (laughs) the championships that we're going to talk about today didn't always hold up for very long. And for good reasons, in some cases, they, some of these, what we're calling short lived championships, like we had to go down and figure out the month and the day that they started (laughs) and ended because we're like, wait, what? How long did this thing last? 
And oftentimes they're centered around the TV shows in the more modern era because it's really difficult for an organization to do a championship change or introduce a new championship in-house shows only because the audience is so limited. It's just the people that were there at the event. Right. So you kind of have to do these things on TV. The first one I kind of want to talk about is the one, Barry, that <laughs> I mentioned I earlier. I love this one. <laughs> the TNA World Beer Drinking Championship. This thing ran November 11th, 2007 to February 25th, 2008. Now, first of all, that is well <laughs> outside the scope of time that we usually do on the podcast, but we felt it was important to talk about it just because of the uniqueness of the championship. You guys have this listed on here as this was a gimmick title between James Storm and Eric Young. Yeah, James Storm and Eric Young competed for the title. They didn't. They weren't co-holders. Okay, so it's a beer drinking title. I, I mean, was it just Last Man Standing or what? <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. Like Last Man Sitting, who didn't fall out of the chair. Exactly. Down, I, I see in my mind. I see one of those cheap folding tables in a wrestling ring with just lines and lines of plastic red cups full of beer. It's the- like beer pong, <laughs> <laughs> and the winner gets the belt. <laughs> There's a lot of rules out there right now in regular live television about things you can or can't do. Apparently, beer drinking is perfectly okay, but smoking a cigarette, that'll get you some FCC violations. <laughs> yeah, that I just, when I saw this, and I found out actually this thing had been around for a bit in a couple of different versions of TNA, but this is the one that was the most famous with, with James Storm is, you know, that that's his baby, so... He does do quite a bit of drinking as part of his bit. He always did the beer bottle smashing thing over somebody's head. And so, yeah, I could see that. What about some of these other ones on the list? Anybody have a favorite? Oh, yeah. I got to talk about the... uh the WWF World Martial Arts Heavyweight Championship. Oh. Yes, this Ooh. was a thing. <laughs> and it was from like 79, believe it or not, 79 to 89. It lasted Wow, 10 years. That's not very short-lived. Why is that in our <laughs> short-lived category? <laughs> because it was only in the WWF for about a year. This was oh, Vince McMahon's okay. attempt okay. to try to get Japanese wrestling and WWF kind of as a partnership from okay. like back in the 70s. <laughs> and it just so happens that the the main person that held this title was Antonio Inoki. So (laughs) yeah, he was trying to bring him into the organization. I bet. Exactly. This was one of those perfect examples of, Hey, if we're going to try to make this big change, let's create a belt and just use that as the reason for us trying to make these changes. So, and you'll see that a lot in, in these types of belts where it's either based around an event or for a specific purpose. You guys have another one. And again, I, I apologize to the listener because we've screwed this category completely to death. <laughs> the next one you guys listed in here, this is one I know, I or at least I think I know, I think I've heard of it, the WWF mm-hmm. Junior Heavyweight Championship. And it's, you guys have dates on this of 1965 to 1985. Again, not <laughs> short-lived. So again, kind of the same idea. What you may be thinking of is the light heavyweight championship, right. not oh, the junior maybe. heavyweight championship. Okay. They were actually two different things. And the reason why, yes, it started back in 65, but as what will happen with several of these belts, it goes away, comes back, goes away, comes back. <laughs> And I had to put it in here just because of the simple fact that the last person to hold this belt, kind of a throwback to our video game episode, was the Cobra. Oh, so it was a G.I. Joe thing. I guess. Either that or it was a guy with a big hood or something. I don't know what's going on with it. (laughs) 
<laughs> there have been quite a few also. I, I'm just going through the list. Now we're getting into regionally defined belts. This first one, the WWF Canadian Championship, because as we know from past episodes, Vince McMahon would never give anything to any Canadians. He would only <laughs> take... <laughs> This one was actually a short-lived belt. Yes. August of 85 to January of 86. So like six months, this thing was out there. And there was only one wrestler who ever held it. Given that time frame, I think our audience, eh, it depends. Maybe they don't remember this person, but they should be able to figure out who was the title holder. Dino Bravo. <laughs> oh, the quintessential Canadian. <laughs> Oh my I mean, goodness. This guy, the blonde hair, that's what threw me with Dino Bravo is that weird t- It almost looked like a Canadian Harley race, you know? <laughs> it was the blonde hair dye job because Harley yes. race is, he's brown hair, like his yeah. natural hair color. It wasn't, WWF has this thing for, hey, you're an old guy with brown hair. Let's throw some blonde dye at you. Exactly. That's their whole thing, apparently, <laughs> with bringing people in. If we make them blonde, people will like them. And that was pretty much all of Dino Bravo's gimmick. I mean, he, God bless Jimmy Hart, because without Jimmy Hart, nobody would have ever remembered Dino Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, jeez. The last one, this one, I, I don't know the dates on this one, but it's one that I think might hold a little special place more in my heart than any of the others you guys have talked about. I had not heard of this title previously. However, I know the person and I am a big fan of their professional wrestling work. Tommy Dreamer's New York hardcore title. He's like, no, if it's a hardcore title and it's in New York, it's mine. You guys have nothing to say about it. Well, and here's the funny thing about this title. First off, Tommy was the only one that held that specific title. I don't think it ever well, changed course, it's hands got his to name anybody on it. else. Yeah, exactly. No, it's got his name on it. <laughs> but the thing is, so what we were talking about earlier about repurposing belts, you know, and we'll get into this when we get into the actual hardcore title, the WWE hardcore title. That was a repurposed belt, but so was this. This was nothing more than the old WWE European title that had, and I can't make this up, a New York State license plate attached to the front of it with a miniature statue of Liberty right in the center. (laughs) I was like, this thing is awesome. I have never seen any more of a Mad Max road warrior looking belt in my entire life. (laughs) So this guy, he literally took a European title championship belt, Mm -hmm. slapped a license plate and a little statue on it and called it something else. So was, do you know when this thing was in operation? Like, had he been the European title? Title holder at some point. I don't remember. He Tommy was the Dreamer hardcore title holder. He was the hardcore okay. title holder, not the European. And at the but time, how did, he, how did he get the European title to put this stuff well, that's on? Just it. It. The European title had already been retired. They had they were no longer recognizing the European title at that point in time. So it was literally just a belt in the back. So he literally just went and took a European title championship yep. belt out of the warehouse at Storage. WWF <laughs> and and said, hey, nobody's going to notice if I take this thing and stick some stuff on it and put it on TV somewhere. Which was this on ECW? Where was this at? So it was at the time that ECW was kind of working in conjunction with WWE, where they had bought them out. They were still working as a separate entity. Right. I remember that. 
Okay. Yeah, because because Tommy Dreamer didn't really last very long in WWE. He was more attached to ECW. So it's right. just uh, to see this thing. And, and I, I would really encourage our listeners, any of these belts, if you have a chance, go and look some of them up because some of them are absolutely classic. This <laughs> this one is one that looks like if you took the European title and smacked it into a New York City cab. That's the best <laughs> way I can describe, describe what it looks like. I, I definitely want to go take a look at that. I kind of want to go see the videos that I can find about how he presented this belt on TV. I just want to go find a video of that. It might be really <laughs> difficult if it's an ECW video because some of those are hard to find, but man, the New York hardcore title of yes, Tommy Dreamer. It is epic. It is absolutely epic. And I mean, you know, again, there's a lot of these titles that we're going to talk about that are going to be strange, shall we say? This one I think is one of my favorites because it looks like it looks like a DIY belt is what it does. <laughs> Championship Wrestling Monday night with a full card lined up at regular prices including a $3 general admission. You'll see J.D. Costello's triple challenge for $5,000 to be thrown to the crowd. An international kendo stick lumberjack match with Sato and Goto against Jared and Tanaka. You'll be seeing the international title against the Southern heavyweight title when Jerry Lawler meets Bam Bam Bigelow with the two titles at stake. Be there Monday night. Now, besides championship belts, there's also a different awards that are given rings, trophies, and stuff like that. For example, right. the, the Slammies in the WWF. Oh, God, oh. the Slammies. Oh. <laughs> Thank Every you, Every time <laughs> I hear of the Slammies, I swear to God, I see the TV show The Office with the Dundies. Every see, time. And I just get the, the mental image of Owen Hart holding up his two Slammies like they were the greatest yeah. thing in the world. I was surprised to find out in my research, they actually started in 1986. That far back? That sounds about yeah. right. Wow, I didn't think it was that long. Yeah, 1986. You know, and they, they had awards in 86 and 87, and they stopped until 91 or something like that. They still hold them today, but it's every couple of years they'll, they'll yeah, have their, we, their ceremony. We can't get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> I know quite a few things that feel that way at this point in my life. <laughs> Well, what, what were they given for, you know? It seemed like the uh, the WWF or WWE now is tr was trying to kind of mimic the Oscars, the Grammys. Oh, my you know, gosh. The, <laughs> the Oscars of wrestling. Oh, yeah, they, wow. And they, they would give awards to, like, the greatest match, best tag team, top WWE A-lister of the year. That's got to rub a lot of the wrestlers the wrong way. I know a yeah. lot of wrestlers have very fragile egos. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that they called the award not just wrestler of the year, but A-lister of the year, there's got to be some guys like, I wasn't even nominated. Does that mean I'm a B-lister? What the hell is that about? <laughs> Hulk Hogan. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> shots fired. Now, the thing that I think is so funny about this, I mean, awards for wrestlers have been going on for years with magazines like PWI would give out ones and, you know, mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. these types of things. And, and those are independents. But this is the first time I've ever heard of like a specific organization giving out an award. I would venture to guess that it was another way for Vince McMahon to find something to fill television airtime. <laughs> Absolutely. If you, yeah. 
have your matches, you know, once or twice a week, and then you can throw the network like USA or whoever they were on at the time say, Hey, we want to do this specialty show. And because our fans love us so much, they're going to watch this thing. So just, you know, give us an hour and it'll be the special event. Well, they, they, they usually gave them away before, uh, it was like the night before WrestleMania or a couple days before WrestleMania. So it was kind of that road to WrestleMania, WrestleMania week kind of thing. Right. The same type of thing that they do with the hall of fame and whatnot, but that's all independent programming outside of the pay-per-view in that case, or outside of a regular show. So it's, it's just another way to generate revenue from advertisers. That's really what it comes down to. (laughs) Another one that was a brilliant Vince McMahon idea. This is one that I wanted to talk about because I have specific memories of watching this entire thing. June through August 1998. Again, outside of our timeline that we normally cover, but this is an important one. The Brawl for All Championship. Okay, wait a minute. If you're going to call the Brawl for All brilliant, we're going to have some problems here. (laughs) I was, first of all, I was speaking sarcastically. I used my sarcastic font. Thank you. Air quotes. Referring to this one. (laughs) But at the time, the tough guy contests were super popular. You also had things like the Ultimate Fighting Championship becoming more and more common in the the USA zeitgeist at that point. So this was their answer to the tough guy things. And they also had people from the UFC. They had Dan Severin. They had Ken Shamrock. um, But they also brought in their own performers to compete in this legit tournament like Bart Gunn and JBL. So this was essentially shoot fighting. We talk oftentimes wrestling, like even our tagline for our show is the scripted but never faked squared circle. In this case, there was no script. You two guys get in the ring with some boxing gloves, beat the shit out of each other. And when somebody quits or gets knocked out, they lose. That's what this whole thing was. It's like three rounds, wasn't it? They gave them three rounds to be able to do whatever they wanted to do. They, I think they talked about giving them three rounds, but truthfully, I don't remember a fight going past the second round in yeah. any of them yeah. because most of the guys found out very quickly that when they would get in there to go for three minutes, and by the way, I think they were three-minute rounds, that when they good. would get in there to go for three minutes and just throwing real punches, very, very quickly, they tired out. They gassed almost immediately. The only guys, as a matter of fact, who really did and were Dan Severin and Ken Shamrock because they had that background. They had been in real professional fights of this type. But the odd thing was the guy that you expected the least to win it is the one who did. <laughs> Bart Gunn knocked everybody the fuck out. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember this. And the thing that I remember most about this, though, was not the battles, was not the fights. It was the crowd reaction to these oh, things. Oh, yeah. The crowd hated this. <laughs> yeah. They were not fans, but undeterred by fan reaction, as Vince McMahon often it is, he said, you know what, Bart Gunn, you won. Let's go ahead and get the most popular popular tough guy in America to come to WWF and have a match with you. Let's bring in Butterbean. If you guys have never heard of Butterbean before, this guy literally was the personification of his nickname. I was about to say, has it ever been a better description of a human being? (laughs) But it's his name, Eric Butterbean. Swear to God. That's his real last name? (laughs) Yeah, I believe it was. I mean, that's what he always presented as. But he just went by the single name most oftentimes in his contest. He was literally like a a pasty white round vegetable. He was a sphere with legs. That could knock you the hell out. Yeah, he was was a sphere with legs that would take you down in no time flat. 
<laughs> well, he and Bart Gunn got in this match, and I think it wasn't more than 30 seconds before Bart Gunn going up against a real puncher learned that that was not the arena he needed to be a part of. <laughs> he knew he wasn't in Kansas anymore. <laughs> no. Well, he might not have after he got pummeled a few hundred times in the head. He might not have known anywhere of where he was at, but he did figure it out very quickly that Vince McMahon was not happy that he lost. This kind of ended his career. I was going to say, I don't remember him doing very much, if anything, after the brawl for all and now they only ran it one time and that's all they needed oh man i remember distinctly they were going to do a brawl for all two and mm-hmm. they started promoting it and then they backed out of it because the wrestlers refused to do it because the ones who had competed in the first one like jbl and bart gunn they couldn't compete in regular pro wrestling matches for a period of time after this so they all lost money because they couldn't show up to events and yeah. that's the only way they got paid so a lot of the guys that would have possibly competed in this in the second one after they saw the disaster that the first one was it's one of the few times that all the wrestlers banded together against a Vince McMahon idea and said nope we're done well speaking of one-time event only things we would be remiss if we did not talk about the Wrestlemania 4 Battle Royal Championship from March 27th 1998 this okay, is the now f- why is this in our awards because a Battle Royal that's a pretty common thing yes but this is the first time that they actually issued a trophy for the winner of the uh, Battle Royal Okay. Okay. Now, this is where things get a little bizarre because most people have seen a battle royal and, you know, you're familiar with how that works. It's 20 guys or 30 guys or whatever. Right. Yeah. So the whole premise behind this was when they were trying to fill out WrestleMania 4, they knew they were going to have this. But the question was arisen. Why are we doing a battle royal? What is the purpose of doing it? What, you know, what does the winner get? Do they get a shot at the championship? No, we can't do that because we've already got another pay-per-view that does that. Do they get a... A cash prize. No, that doesn't work either because Vince McMahon is cheap. What they decided to do was create this trophy for the winner of the Battle Royal. So it was almost like a thumb in the eye type thing of, yes, we're going to have you go out here and battle 20 guys or 19 other guys. And what do you get? A trophy. It's yeah. never defended. I guess it's kind of like the thing that must have gotten resurrected years later for the Andre the, Andre the Giant, the Giant right. trophy. Yeah. Yes, it doesn't look anything like that, but it's the same idea. So with this hmm. one, the last two standards were Bad News Brown and Bret Hart. Yes, I know, oh. Aaron. I know this is going to kind of hurt you a little bit because this is this is one where Bret Hart ends up losing. That's and- bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have to say, Bad News Brown took him down with one of my favorite names for a finisher, by the way, the Ghetto Blaster. Took him down with that, took him over the top rope. They presented Bad News Brown the trophy. Bret Hart comes back in, takes the trophy and beats him with it. <laughs> That's my so boy right minute. there. This guy went through this incredible match of 20 people, however yes. long it lasted. And the one thing he was supposed to win from this gets destroyed by somebody breaking it over his head. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, okay. that's about the way it went. And the funny thing is they, they've had battle Royals in the past, you know, since that time, up until they started the Andre, the giant Memorial battle Royal, there was never another trophy <laughs> for a battle Royal. They're just like, you know yeah. what? We're just going to do it. We're not even going to worry about what it's for. Just do it, you know? But th- this one definitely had to be brought up because like I said, that was the first time that I've ever seen an award, both one and forgot about in the same day. <laughs> That's pretty easy to forget about something that gets cracked over your noggin. Yeah. That's a pretty much a memory loss guarantee. <laughs> 
even more great wrestling action is on Sports Channel. Host Bob Cottle has all the excitement of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Each week, such stars as gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, the tag team of the Midnight Express, and the Russians, Ivan Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev, make up an exciting lineup from the NWA. Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, worldwide wrestling, right here on Sports Channel. In Columbus. We mentioned earlier that in the history of wrestling, there's been a lot of awards. There's been a lot of short-lived titles. There were some, however, that were just too unique and they actually stuck around for a while. Most of them weren't really sanctioned awards, but some of them were, yet they really just added to the, the flavor, if you will, of certain people and certain timelines. The first one I want to bring up is one that started off in ECW. It was started by a gentleman by the name of Taz, and ah, it was called okay. the FTW Heavyweight Championships. Fuck the world! There you go. <laughs> Okay, so we apologize to our censors right yes. away. Thanks, have, Captain Key. We appreciate that. We have censors? No. <laughs> well, tell me about that. They when don't we don't know. They all just quit. So it's interesting because FTW, I know what it stands for, but I think our modern listeners, the people who, you know, it, FTW means a completely different thing in yes. the slang of USA right now. It's for the win usually now. Mm-hmm. And that, that was kind of the reason why he structured it that way, because it was something that could be applied to a lot of different <laughs> names or nomenclatures or whatever. So Taz created this. Essentially, he was he got screwed over on several different title runs, and he decided, I'm just going to make my own. And ah. he would defend this. He This is one of the few unsanctioned titles that was actually defended. In fact, it was he lost it a couple of times to another performer by the name of Sabu. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. a couple of those matches. Yeah, the, was it the genocidal, suicidal, homicidal Sabu? Oh, yeah. 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 If you need to know anything more about that, <laughs> let me just say Sabu is the only wrestler that I've ever heard that was featured in an ICP song, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, if you the ICP had your own wrestling history. Yeah. He defended this or held it and defended it pretty well through the run of ECW. When ECW folded, he would bring it to the, the announce table a few times and, and things like that. But it really didn't get reactivated until just recently in 2020 in AEW. And wow. it's still okay. an active title in AEW. So this is one of those rare occurrences where you saw something that kind of went away and then came back strong. Yeah, unlike the, the WWF hardcore title uh, <laughs> in 98 Vince McMahon gave it to mankind yes my yeah, boy. He, he awarded it to him and it was almost as though it was like he was trying to in kayfabe in the storyline he was trying to win the good graces of mankind if I remember right at the right. time mankind was gonna kick his ass and <laughs> in order to win him over he gave him this belt and mankind's simplistic mentality went oh Vince McMahon really likes me now <laughs> <laughs> okay, you are never allowed to make fun of my impressions again. You just pulled I've off a perfect I've never made McFoley. fun of anybody's impressions. I'm not saying that was an impression because I'm terrible at them. That was a perfect but Foley. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I really like this this title. I was watching wrestling a lot during this uh, this time. It was, it was hardcore. No disqualifications, pinfalls count anywhere, weapons, real real rough. It was kind of a serious title at first. Unfortunately, in 2000, 99, 2000, I think it was, Crash Holly won it, and he instituted the 24-7 <laughs> rule. Oh, 
So now you call it unfortunate. To be honest with you, to me, that's when the title hit its glory days. Honestly, the 24-7 rule with the comedy skits involves so many wrestlers on TV and so many of the backstage situations and scenes and people. I thought that it was a really fun way to break up what is arguably one of the most ridiculous things about the modern pro wrestling product, and that's that everybody tries to be super serious all the time. Okay, every pro wrestling TV show, everyone, oh, that guy, he he went after my family. I'm going to kill him. And and we all know at this point, guys, the jig is up. We've all figured it out. It's not 1965 anymore where we really think you guys hate each other. We understand that this is a performance. You don't have to go crazy with it. And this thing kind of broke up that monotony a little bit. And one of my favorite parts was seeing a Crash Holly run around backstage, get pinned, some referee pops out of nowhere to do the three count five other people trade the title back and forth and then oh. crash holly ends up with it and runs off into the sunset See, that was some of my that. favorite stuff i'll give you that but I, I gotta be honest the the one time that this actually just completely lost my interest because I, I was i was down before the 24 7 title thing came into play but or the 24 7 rule excuse me but the minute that i saw crash holly pinning someone in a hotel on the bed i'm like are you kidding me right now are you hey, kidding me the referee came it's in 24 7 means 24 7 in an airplane in a garage a on the street grocery store and i remember the grocery store ones yeah tell me that there's not a more difficult belt to maintain than the 24 7 hardcore title every other belt you know when the match is coming this one just comes out of nowhere like you said you can be in the frozen food aisle somebody smack you with a grocery <laughs> cart and you just lost your belt well and we we're talking about the the repurposing of belts the thing that i love this really kind of started that ball rolling because this was the old wwf championship belt the the eagle belt winged, winged, winged eagle. the winged eagle yeah they had literally taken this thing and destroyed it broken it into multiple pieces then covered it with duct tape that's the wow. thing I remember <laughs> they just said hardcore across the duct tape it was awesome there's quite a few belts in there one i want you guys to talk a little bit about because i think i kind of remember this but I'm not 100% sure. I want you guys to talk a little bit about the NWA World Brass Knuckles Championship. So this was from November of 78 to May of 82. So yeah. by some of our other standards, this might have qualified under the short-lived list that we had <laughs> <earlier>. <laughs> But Brass Knuckles, I, I vaguely remember people like, I want to say Dusty Rhodes yep. and Harley Race or those mm-hmm. kind of guys competing for this thing. Is that right? Do I have yeah. that right? This was this was kind of the precursor to the hardcore championships, shall we say. This is kind of gave birth to those later on. Because mm. this is one of those ones that it was, you know, no holds barred, anything goes kind of titles. And these are the ones that you would see that would usually start in the ring, but they never finished in the <laughs> ring. Right. They finished. And in I the- always just wondered, like, did literally the wrestlers walk into the ring with a a sack full of brass knuckles and just start beating the shit out of each other because that match couldn't last long in real life as i I remember punches and you're done as i remember there was a set of brass knuckles that was available for use and it was just kind of one of those (laughs) whoever got to them first could use it kind of thing so like oh brass knuckles on a pole. There yeah, you go. Pretty, pretty much. That's kind of, you know, you could use this as kind of the prototype for hardcore championships for the 
blank on a pole titles, you know, that kind of stuff. But it was an actual belt. It was an actual defended title. Well, I don't think there's a more famous example of unique championships and titles than Ted DiBiase's million dollar belt. Oh, yeah. I kept trying to put my initials on this one on the card, but for some reason, the card kept rejecting my initial. I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> I know this championship. I want to talk about it. So to hey, hell George, with you, Trello. George, it was me. Everybody's got a price. Uh, <laughs> there he is. Wait. Wait, wait, when you say it was you, you kept taking my initials off of it? It was him, Austin. It was him all along. Is that what you're saying? Because if so, I'm fairly sure I have some control to take you off that goddamn podcast. Can we just say, out of all the titles that were available at that time, was there a better looking belt? Oh, no. Than the Million Dollar oh, Championship. Not. It was, oh, my God. That thing Gorgeous. was stellar. It was amazing. It had the big dollar sign right in the center of it yep. that was all encrusted in stones and everything. Oh, loved it. The reason why I wanted to talk about this belt is I've seen this belt in person up close. A number of years ago, I went to a science fiction geek convention here in Florida called Infinity Con. And this particular Infinity Con was the first one I went to. They held it at a fairgrounds in the city that it was being held at. And they had set up a giant tent for Mm -hmm. the convention. This is Florida at any time that is not January means it was excruciatingly hot in this tent because that's the way Florida is. The air conditioners were messed up, but one of the things that I enjoyed the most about it, they had this row of the celebrities that had been invited to the convention where you could walk up and get autographs and talk to the celebrities. If you've ever gone to a geek convention, that's a pretty standard thing. This particular convention, the center of the entire geek convention was based around the new reimagining of Battlestar Galactica. So they had Edward James almost there, who I sat with for 45 minutes and looked at his personal library of stuff he was working they had number six she was Mm -hmm. there they had like three or four of those but off to the side swear (laughs) to god was ted dibiase nice and i got to go and get an autograph from him being a pro wrestling fan of course i had to and he had his original million dollar belt on the table very cool very awesome and so he was allowing people to look at it and hold it and everything you you had to be very gentle with it because it was extremely delicate as you might imagine and anybody who's worked in TV or movies knows a lot of these props, they're not very sturdy. Yeah. They're not designed now, for long-term use. Hero no, props now this one, though, props and all had, that, right? This one though, he had put a lot of extra work into to make sure that he could wear it you know, out on TV and it could get knocked around and used as a weapon and things like that. But it's been 30 years at this point or, you know, closer to 40, I guess. But but, so it had deteriorated. Like you could see the leather was cracking and peeling around Mm. it. But God love him. That man has not let go of that belt to this day. Well, the thing that I think makes this this particular title so unique is for the majority of the other titles that we've talked about today, they came into being just because there was not really a whole lot of reasons behind it. There was no, not a lot of storyline behind it. It was just either somebody did it out of spite or they did it because they wanted to show off how big and bad they were or whatever. This one, however, came about because of a storyline that had been built up for quite some time about DiBiase trying to buy the world championship and he couldn't do it. Yeah. Because it was what? WrestleMania 4? 
I think it was. Oh, I don't he, even uh, remember. He got defeated. It was a 90, 98. He got this plan to, to hire somebody to get the belt and they lost. So DiBiase just kind of said, you know what? Screw you all. I'm going to make my own. And that's yep. when it debuted with the million dollar belt. And when it came out, <laughs> oh my gosh, everybody lost their mind because it was it looked better than the WWE championship. <laughs> there was a purported value associated with it that was part of the reason yep. in storyline a wrestler would want the belt because it was supposed to be worth $1 million. Yep. And so part of the reason to compete for the belt was to get it from DiBiase, take it somewhere, sell off the diamonds and the gold and everything else that was a part of the physical belt itself and you would be a millionaire if you could right. beat the millionaire ted dibiase i loved it the million dollar man he came up with an idea that has probably lasted longer than oh, yeah. any of these other obscure championships we've talked oh, definitely, about definitely it's important though to talk a little bit about the legacy and i've got a question for all of us when we come back right after this Hello, I'm Jeff Jarrett, and if you want to see body slams, if you want to see drop kicks, if you want to see the wildest, the craziest, but the best wrestling action there is in the country, well then tune in right here to USWA Wrestling every Sunday morning, 11 a.m. to Fox 41 WDRB Louisville. And if you want to see live action, come down to the gardens on Tuesday night, 7.30 bell time. But right here, tune in to WDRB Louisville, 11 o'clock Sunday morning. Sunday morning at 11 on Fox 41. As I mentioned just a few minutes ago, I wanted to ask each one of you a question. I think I have my answer to it, but I really want to know what each one of you guys think. So Barry and Captain mm -hmm. Kiwi, do obscure championships have a place in the modern pro wrestling landscape? Barry, I'll start with you. Okay. Well, first off, I was unaware there was going to be a test today. So <laughs> well, I just want to make that clear. That you didn't read the card a week in advance. Do obscure championships have, I would say yes. And okay. just because of the fact that, you know, to some of our points earlier, a lot of times these belts were used to drive storylines. They were used as a, for lack of a better word, a MacGuffin. It was something that caused stuff to happen, you know, and there are several of them that are in the, the modern day wrestling that they do a really good job with. Some they don't, but some they do. And I think it does do a lot to kind of push those storylines and maybe even give a push to a particular wrestler who may or may not be getting over with the crowd too much. Give them something unique that's tied to them and them alone. And that forces the crowd to kind of say, oh, okay, well, this guy deserves this. I want to see how he, he he runs with it or just the opposite. How the hell did he create his own belt? How is that fair? Somebody needs to take that off of him. So yeah, I do see that where that is something that really can benefit, we'll say a mid-card wrestler or someone lower than mid-card. The, the higher ups don't need to hand those belts. Roman Reigns does not need his own title. You know, it's it, that kind of feel to it. But yeah, I definitely think that they, they really can be used if done properly to really motivate and, and push a wrestler. Captain Kiwi, it's down to you. Do you think obscure championships have a place in the modern pro wrestling landscape? I'm, I'm kind of torn between a yes and no. Okay. Barry's point, yes, it helps to uh, to push storylines, can help to elevate some of the wrestlers. But I find myself a little bit more traditional. I like a heavyweight championship, some kind of mid-card championship, tag team, and a women's championship. I feel mm. that's pretty much that's all that's needed. Okay, so you feel less is more than as far as championships yes. as an organization are concerned. Correct. I got you. I, I can understand that. I think for me, the Zack Ryder example that we talked about earlier 
is a prime reason of how in a special set of circumstances, an obscure championship can benefit not only an individual, but also an organization. At that point, the WWE is one of those organizations that people kind of hated. It's a little bit like Walmart of pro wrestling. It's that's a good way to put it. They're the dominant force. They win everything. They own all the product to hell with all the little ROHs and everybody else that are out there. You're going to watch WWE or you're not watching pro wrestling. And for Zack Ryder to stay in that organization while he's essentially benched and come up with an entertaining way to promote himself outside of the WWE business machine was brilliant. And the fact that they were forced to bring that title onto television and talk about it and thus promote it, I think it just shows when there's a brilliant piece of inspiration, it can be magic. I agree with you, though, Captain Kiwi. We don't need them all the time. I don't need 27 beer drinking championships. I don't need (laughs) the bare knuckles, brass knuckles, whatever. But if somebody comes up with a unique million dollar belt internet championship type of idea. I'm all for it. Okay. I think that's a fair way to say it. Yeah. That will wrap it up for this episode of Turnbuckles and Territories. It's been a blast recording all these episodes with you guys, and I've had a lot of fun, but we've still got a few more to go. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about where music and pro wrestling find their way together when wrestling rocks in our very (laughs) next episode. (laughs) This is one that Barry's been looking forward to for a long time. I finally get to talk about the Pile Driver album. I'm so excited. Bring in the cakes. Right? Grab them cakes, baby. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. That is going to be a lot of fun. Hope you guys will join us for that episode. Until then, Barry, thank you so much for joining us today. Man, where's my belt? I need a belt. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Kiwi, always a pleasure to have you here. Damn it, George, I want my rematch clause. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Fourth listener, it is you we appreciate most of all, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Before the days of internet and in YouTube, we was after brewing Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude, and Jake would be the breed. Our theme song is courtesy of nerdcore hip-hop artist Beefy. Explore his work at beefiness.com. Turnbuckles and Territories is a production of Gen X Grown Up and a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Turnbuckles and Territories, we be set to screen until 1980.